from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life, the conversation we have here every week related to all things connecting work and the rest of your life, your family, however you define that, your community, our society, whatever that means to you in your world. And of course, your private self, your mind, body, spirit, what's inside, what makes you distinctive, what's on the outside makes you distinctive, your mental health, physical health, spiritual growth and development, your particular characteristics as an individual. How do you fit all those pieces together in a way that creates not only a sense of harmony in your world and your life over the course of your life, but also to achieve your potential. That's what we're here to help you to try to figure out. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I'm glad you're listening. I'm the founder of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and of our leadership program. I run a company, a management consulting and training company called Total Leadership. And you can find out about what we do to help people and organizations to create greater harmony and improve performance in all the different parts of our life, of one's lives. And uh, you can do so by checking out totalleadership.org, where we've got all kinds of free chapters, articles, videos, assessment tools, all sorts of stuff. Again, it's totalleadership.org. New episodes of our show premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern time on Sirius XM channel 132 and you can follow us on Twitter at SXM business as well as me at Stu Friedman. I'm really excited about our show today because uh, speaking with an author of a book that just came out it is July early July 2020 this book just came out last month and I'm sure that uh, Professor Johnson did not write this book for a time when there has been a radical uh, rethinking and reckoning of of uh, racial injustice in America and a pandemic. Uh, but uh, my read of her wonderful book is that it's probably more relevant than she had thought it would be when she first wrote it. Uh, conversations about diversity and inclusion are happening everywhere. And uh, our guest today is, is one of the voices for uh, evidence-based positive change in, in our world, especially in our organizations. Her new book is called Inclusify. That's right. That's a word now. Inclusify. Uh, and I am delighted to welcome Dr. Stephanie Johnson to the program. Stephanie is an associate professor at the University of Colorado Boulder's Leeds School of Business. And... The book's full name is Inclusify, The Power of Uniqueness and Belonging to Innovative Teams. Stephanie, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you. I loved your introduction at the start so much because that integration of work and life and bringing all the different pieces of yourself is kind of the point of the book. Right, right. That's why I was so eager to have you join us today. Let me just say a little bit more about you before we jump into the conversation so listeners know who I'm speaking with. Stephanie uh, studies the intersection of leadership and diversity, focusing on how unconscious bias affects the evaluation of leaders and strategies that leaders can use to mitigate 
bias. We need this. And uh, our listeners need this as we are all so hungry now for models that work. Uh, she's a member of the um, Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches, as I am. Uh, and so she's a sister with me in that, in that wonderful group. And she was also selected for the 2020 Thinkers 50 Radar List, which comprises the 30 international management scholars whose work will shape the future of how organizations are managed and led. A list I was on way back in the day. Uh, so Dr. Johnson is uh, a sought after contributor to uh, speaking keynotes at various events in and in organizations, trade associations. She writes for the Harvard Business Review. Um, she has presented hundreds of meetings around the world, including at the White House for their 2016 Summit on Diversity in Corporate America on National Equal, Equal Pay Day. Stephanie, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much. Uh, I love this term, inclusify, and what you've done in the book, which, um, among other things, uh, implies an ongoing, it's not a one-shot deal, it's an ongoing process. Uh, can you just briefly describe, by way of introduction for our listeners, what Inclusify means? And then I'm going to ask you how you got to this work. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea of the word Inclusify is that include, I guess is maybe include is the action people would associate with inclusion. But I think that was not enough to just include people um, doesn't necessarily help them be their best selves. People associate inclusion with like, I let you, I included you, I let you in the room um, and I'm, now I'm done. But inclus inclusifying is just as you said, this idea that it's a constant action and behavior that we need to exhibit like over time. It's not just opening the door and letting people in who might have been shut out previously. It's, it's more than that. Yeah, I think that is just probably um, diversity programming. If I let you in, that's like mm -hmm. a diversity practice. But inclusion is really trying to bring out all of those different unique perspectives. And that's where the book focuses on these two basic and essential human needs of uniqueness and belonging. Yes, a quest that humans have been pursuing since the dawn of the civilization, right? How do I, how do I fit into a group and still be myself? Yeah, well, that is, I mean, that's the question. I think maybe, do you ever feel like you can't be yourself in your work life? Thinking. Sure, of course. Yeah. But, you know, I, I pause on that because especially, you know, recently, I'm in my late 60s now, I, I care a lot less, you know, about what people think. Of course, I've had the advantages of being a white male in our society, and I'm, you know, striving now to become more aware of the various privileges that I've had and not even known about um, that have given me advantage. So it's easier for me to feel like that. But uh, I have certainly been the object of discrimination as, as a Jew in America, uh, you know, in, in my earlier life, especially. So, you know, that is that has been a source of inhibition. There's lots of ways, of course, that, you know, I've not been able to be my full self. And of course, there are things that are inside that nobody would want to know. Right. <laughs> so, and that, I'm sure, is true for everyone. Yes. Um, 
So this is a way long and rambling answer to your question. I don't think I'm answering it. Quite no, so I'm going to stop talking. I mean, the point is that everyone's probably felt that way at some time. Yes. And, um, some people more than others, and some people have to leave more of themselves out of the workplace. Yeah. And I am totally with you that I don't think we should bring everything. Like we bring maybe our best authentic self to work, to work, not like we don't need to air all of our demons, but um, for women and people of color, persons with disabilities, a lot of different um, groups, they have to leave huge parts of their identity at home uh, because of the biases, but also because of the cultures that we've designed in organizations that tend to favor, like they've been designed by um, the, like basically the majority group. Yeah, and that that's what we're striving for is, is to give people greater freedom to, to bring whoever they wanna bring of themselves into all aspects of their lives, not just at work, but at home as well. Because social roles and expectations and norms and especially you know, punitive consequences for being different are, are prisons uh, that are not only painful, um, but they cost us collectively, which, which, which you argue very, very persuasively and, and inclusively, which you define. I'm going to read your definition, okay? Uh, to lead and live in a way that recognizes and celebrates unique and dissenting perspectives. Dissent, people. That's what we're talking about while creating a collaborative and open-minded environment where everyone feels they truly belong. This is a lovely idea. Yes. And I'm using that term because many people I think are going to be listening and saying, Oh, that sounds great. How do you do that? Yeah. And that's really what your book is about. You've got some practical tools for getting people to see how they can actually do that. And I want to get into that straight away. Uh, but first two things what stands in the way of getting there and the, and the, the different kinds of, of, of people that get stuck in different ways. Cause uh, I'm sure our listeners and your readers are going to identify with the, the problems that you've identified so well and so vividly. Um, but um, how did you get to this work? Like what led you to this, your, your own inclusified journey? Can you give us just a capsule summary of that before we get into the main ideas that you are laying out here so well in, in Inclusify? Yeah, absolutely. So my, I guess my my story, huh? I'm not like a big sharer, but um, okay, since you shared about yourself. Well, it's in the book, so I'm not asking okay. for the entire story, but it's fascinating. And I think listeners want to know, sure. like, who are you that gives you, you know, credibility to speak about this? Yeah, so I am a Mexican woman. Um, probably the part that made me feel less, least included in my life is that I grew up really poor. And so I see so clearly a lot of the barriers that we're only beginning to acknowledge around race and class um, and wealth, the wealth gap. Um, and so, you know, here I'm first gen college students, my parents didn't go to college. And despite that, it, I grew up around the time the internet was created. It was amazing. It was like the 90s. And so I was able to start to get information and learn um, about different areas. And I decided to study um, leadership. And I 
literally did this my whole life. So I went to college to study leadership and then I went on to PhD and studied leadership. And in doing that, if you study leadership, um, as you well know, you're gonna find disparities in gender and disparities in race. And that that's what I found. And I actually did not want to be the Mexican woman who studied diversity. Which Why not? Now, well, because I think I'm ready as a woman, just as a woman in a business school, um, you know, there's always like, you're not the norm, right? Like most business profs that top schools are men. And, you know, I remember applying for jobs and hearing things like, um, well, the MBA students, you know, they're going to eat you alive. They're always really harsh on women faculty as if that were a reason to not hire women faculty. And it, is a totally illegal reason to not hire women faculty, like because of customer preference. But um, so I thought I would be like taken more seriously if I studied, if I tried to be more similar to the norm, the study topic like leadership, like the basic business topics of leadership, motivation, and mm -hmm. not going into uh, make my identity even more salient as a woman mm -hmm. by studying diversity, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel super bad about this now. Like, I wish I had been better, you know, adjusted then to say, like, this is what I'm interested in. I'm just going to do it. I don't care. Um, mm. But I had those same, you know, self-doubts and imposter syndrome that probably everyone feels. So I just try to, like, be as prototypical as possible. Like, wear a suit. Like, all those things. You wanted to fit in. I wanted to fit in. And, you know, the basic challenge. Yeah. <laughs> And in fact, I can say for, for sure that there were many times where I believe my dissenting opinion would have added value, but I just didn't share it because I didn't, I don't know, I didn't want to be criticized or I didn't think people would hear it or I didn't want to be seen as, you know, the woman professor who's always championing diversity, even though now everyone sees me that way, but, um, but I'm with uh, you, I don't care now. You don't care. Well, you've grown and you, you've developed a, you know, an identity that you are confident in, perhaps in part as a result of the research that you've done. Let me remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132 is the channel. I am your host, Stu Friedman, and my guest today is Dr. Stephanie Johnson, who is the author of Inclusify, The Power of Uniqueness and Belonging to Build Innovative Teams. So... You were saying, yeah, my you, life journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're talking all about you, and if this is too much on that sub subject, we can we can get into the substance of the of uh, of the book shortly. But uh, just bring it home then. But how did you get to where to this book? Then, um, you know, through my research, I consistently saw these disparities around gender and race, and had started to dive into it more deeply, and it just like started to make me really mad. And so I started to look at the biases that we hold in evaluating leaders um, and unconscious bias. And then I think probably after the White House presentation you mentioned, um, I started to see more clearly interacting with a bunch of, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs and um, leaders in the US that it's not just diversity that companies are needing. A lot of companies are actually doing pretty well or doing better than I thought on diversity. They were getting people in the building, 
But then they also had other problems like higher turnover and more concerns around bias and discrimination and conflict. And so- Higher that, turnover of, of people who are different from the yeah. norm. Yeah, absolutely. In some ways, you know, it's easier to hire everyone who looks the same, right? You get worse outcomes, but it's quicker and easier. Um, worse. So then I started to look into this idea of inclusion and you know, I'm not obviously the only person who studies it, but um, the probably the biggest thing that led to the book is in doing interviews with leaders and talking to leaders, I started to see these really consistent um, ways that leaders talked about diversity that I would feel like, didn't, have we spoken before? And they would be kind of just like slightly missing the mark. And when I interviewed their employees, the employees would be like, I don't know if this person really cares about diversity and inclusion. And so I started to like stack up these piles of papers um, from interviews that had, I guess like archetypes of different ways that leaders just just slightly go wrong in trying to create inclusion. And then did the research to figure out how to fix it. All right, so you, uh, you categorized the five or six different types of uh, leaders uh, and let's just quickly go through them so that people understand what it was that you found in your research about uh, what what's what what is the culture crusader, the white knight, uh, the the various others. Um, what what are they trying to do, and what do they get wrong? And and then uh, and, the, and once we've gone through that, we can get into uh, some of the big ideas about what they can do right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, I frame it in terms of this uniqueness and belonging. Some leaders are really good at bringing out difference and getting different perspectives. That's uniqueness. Some leaders are really great at building belonging um, and, you know, hiring a culture fit and supporting cohesion, but they lack uniqueness. And so it ends up with this like psychology two by two matrix, right? Um, so if you're a leader that does neither um, uniqueness or belonging, but instead are focused most just on performance, uh, then I call that a meritocracy manager. And they are the leaders who would say, uh, you know, I don't care about your race or gender. I just want the best person for the job. And um, I believe in meritocracy and I reward, reward everyone for their performance. And that's all that matters. Yeah, that's like saying all lives matter. All lives matter, yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. Well, and especially because we're terrible at judging meritocracy, right? Well, so if, if you're going to pick the best, you know, professors out there, what criteria are you going to use? I think most, all, most of us um, pick a person and then kind of backfill the criteria that we use uh -huh. to support our, our snap judgment about who is the right person. And I think we do the same thing in mm -hmm. organizations, right? It's like, who looks like a leader? Who, who do we know? Uh, who's in our network? And then, um, we come up with really good reasons for why they're, they have merit. So the meritocracy manager, what does he or she miss? Both the belonging piece of creating cohesion, because if you're really focused just on performance outcomes, you actually have more competition rather than cohesion. And mm -hmm. the uniqueness piece, because if you're saying, I don't care about your race, gender, I don't, you know, I just want the best person for the job, then you're, telling people that you don't care about that aspect of their identity and they might care about that 
Mm. Um, so it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't work. It doesn't give people either. And those people tended to want to leave their jobs and find a place where they felt more like they belonged or places okay. where they felt like they could be themselves. So that's the problem associated with the meritocracy manager, which I imagine is quite common in today's corporate landscape. Absolutely. Yeah. The most, common of, the most common of the different types? So I, my most common were optimists, but I was specifically studying people who cared about diversity and inclusion. Yeah, why else would they be talking to you? Yeah, exactly. The people who really- <laughs> You have a, some bias in the sample there. Yeah, the sample's super biased. It's not a random, and they're also mostly executives and people who've been pretty successful. So there we'll were a lot- we back to the optimist. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk about some of the others that you found and that, that help people understand uh, what, what's missing from you know, the right set of ingredients. What, what is the culture crusader? What's, what's she all about? Yeah, so the culture crusader is a leader who hires on culture fit, tries to just really have high belonging, but everyone has to be the same in order to belong. And so they're not valuing dissenting perspectives. And I heard this most in tech. You know, tech companies were kind of designed this way to build culture fit, um, have like everyone from the same universities, um, people with like really similar backgrounds. And that would, you would have the, um, someone I want to have a beer with mentality that a lot of the culture crusaders talked about. There's someone I, who I can relate to. Mm -hmm. And what are they missing is the fact that if everyone fits, if everyone's the same, you're missing out on that different perspective. And there's probably people in your group who don't fit that, but they're trying yeah. to pretend to fit it. They like to drink tea, not beer. Exactly. I hate beer. But so I would not, if I said that, I would not be hired, right? I'd have to fake my fake beer love. So the culture crusaders, they they risk too much homogeneity on, yeah. on, on, on demographic as well as uh, mental models for how to just see the world and, and respond to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, team player, what could be wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, so the... Team Blair is just a culture crusader that is a woman or person of color. And they just were slightly different. It's probably more common for women to be team players, but you know, maybe they grew up in their organization with culture crusaders and people who reinforce fitting in. And so then they go on to do that um, with other women or people of color who come into the organization. So they, that's why they kind of, they're just, replicating how they were treated. And so that's a form of what Rosabeth Cantor 45 years ago called homosocial reproduction, right? You got it. That's where, right. Where she's, you're just kind of replicating the same body of people. Yep. So team players are like culture crusaders, except that they, they do look different. They've just embodied the, the, the homogeneity uh, uh, of, of perspective, I suppose. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so white knights. White those knights. Those sound like good guys. I know. You know? Well, part of the why these all have kind of nice names is none of them are, none of them are bad, right? These are all people who are trying to get it right, and they're just slightly missing. So the white knight, um, any I think any woman I who's read the book or who I tell this to is like, oh yeah, I totally had this experience, but it is a usually white male champion for diversity, who's like 
I think we're all, you know, in the dark. We need to start uh, recognizing our privilege. And that's great that they're supportive of diversity, but they do it in a way that actually undermines those who they're trying to support. And so um, maybe in trying to promote more women, they focus on their gender and why they should promote them because of they're a woman, when in fact, the slight pivot for them is to really focus on competence rather than just like berating their colleagues for being sexist instead. Like, no one's gonna promote you because you're a woman, right? Like, you have to still have the skill. And so white knights were just those leaders who weren't communicating the value of the people they were trying to support. And the consequence of that is? The consequence was uh, mostly a lot of backlash from other white men in the office who felt like oh. well, this boss is only going to promote a woman because he's always talking about let's promote women mm -hmm. when even you know the record wouldn't even support that um perception that they always are promoting women because a lot of times they hadn't promoted any women but they talked about it enough that they made people really mad and then the women actually didn't get the promotions that the white knight was trying to get them because people thought you're just promoting her because she's a woman and you're always telling us we're sexist, right? So, so she didn't get the promotion because? The other decision makers wouldn't ah. believe in the woman's competence. And sometimes mm. some of the women, they too did not feel as confident in their ability because the manager wasn't focusing on the stuff that really matters or giving them the challenging assignments that they needed to be successful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they were kind of infantilized and, and put aside and not able to, to, to develop competence and confidence. Uh, before we go to the break, tell us about the shepherd. So the shepherd is just the, again, the female version of a white knight. So it's probably, you know, I've probably been guilty of this, right? The uh, woman who's like, I'm gonna champion women and also in doing so loses um, some like support or creates backlash from men in the office who are like, I can never get ahead here. She's only gonna promote other women. Hmm. Finally then, the optimist. And the, so the optimist is the leader who's kind of stuck in the middle. So they, this is most of who I found. Um, they cared about uniqueness. They believed in diversity. They cared about belonging. And they just kind of hoped it would happen without having to really take any definite steps. Mm. And so for them, it's like, it's not gonna happen naturally over time because we just tend to do the replicate over and over again. And maybe it'll happen if you wanna wait 170 years, but you could probably move that timeline up a little bit if you just took some real concrete actions. Yeah, hope is important, but necessary, but not sufficient. Yes. Uh, what's what's necessary and sufficient is what we'll get to uh, after the break. Uh, you are listening to Work and Life. I'm speaking with Dr. Stephanie Johnson about her book just out it's called Inclusify. Uh, I am Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome back to Work and Life. So glad you're here. I am your host, Stu Friedman. 
I founded the Wharton Work-Life Integration Project and the Wharton Leadership Program, both back in 1991. Yes, I am that old. Uh, today, I am speaking with Dr. Stephanie Johnson, who is an associate professor at the University of Colorado Boulder's Leeds School of Business. And she's the author of Inclusify, The Power of Uniqueness and Belonging to Build Innovative Teams. Last time I was in Boulder, 1975, well before you were born, probably, Stephanie. I remember a lot of people on bicycles uh, and a lot of tea drinkers and a lot of weed being smoked. I remember that as well. I think that's um, true. But it's probably all still true. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it sounds like a really nice place to live. Um, but that's not what we're here to be talking about. And I'm sure that you don't want to hear any more of my sojourn in 1975 to Boulder. So let's move on. We're talking about uh, your wonderful book, Inclusify, The Power of Uniqueness and Belonging to Build Innovative Teams. And we were talking about, it from your research, the different kinds of approaches or styles, you might call them, of uh, people, especially those in executive roles, who are trying to build more diverse and inclusive uh, organizations and are missing the mark. So we talked about white knights and culture crusaders and meritocracy managers and white knights, shepherds, optimists. Did I get them all? I don't think I did. But the, the essence, sum it up for us, if you will, as to what um, what's... What needs to be there? What's what's the inclusifying leader look like? What is what is he or she? What do they do? Right. So the other the leaders who are missing the mark are just leaving out either the uniqueness or the belonging. They're not bringing people together, which is belonging, or they're not encouraging different perspectives, which is uniqueness. And so the inclusifier is the leader who does both. They try to create an environment where everyone sees why they are an essential valued member of the team and that you all fit together with acknowledging the fact that you're bringing different perspectives and views. How the heck do you do that, Stephanie? I know, that's the hard part. But that's actually most of, I think, what the book focuses on. It's like, yes. there's common behaviors that I saw among inclusifying leaders. And so I just put them in the book. So depending on maybe what you might be lacking, um, if you're lacking belonging, there's some eight you know, suggestions. But um, so how do you do that? I think start with the kind of a learning orientation. So you're designing meetings and interactions at a workplace where you're encouraging different views. And that's hard to switch if you've already had a culture that doesn't. Um, but you can start just in one place. Like I'll start with the meeting because that's where we exchange a lot of information. Um, and I have suggestions, like send your meeting questions in advance, have people send their responses to you as the person running the meeting, especially this is important during COVID. So you don't get in those meeting situations where you have the same people who are always contributing and the different views either aren't elicited or are quickly dismissed because you as a leader know the different views and then you can have people kind of go through them and positively reinforced when someone has a different view or is a devil's advocate. So 
to to avoid the uh, impulsive reaction, which many many people have to a, a view that might be challenging or different from your own, and to 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 reinforce that by further inquiry and 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 recognition that that's a contribution, something along those lines. You got it. Yeah. It seems like a small change, but it makes a big difference. What is it that people find hard about doing that if they're not accustomed to? I think it's habit, probably. Um, and if you're really action-oriented, you're just kind of pushing through. And if you're, I mean, think about when you're collaborating with people, kind of like your goal is to come to a decision. And so it means like pushing forward when I think maybe the goal should be to come to the best decision or like the best possible decision. Mm -hmm. um, and that requires, it maybe more, it takes more time. Um, I think if you do the pre-work of sending the questions and having people think on their own, it still doesn't take much more time in the meeting. Mm -hmm. It just might mean the managers have to like think about the questions in advance and send them out and that meeting attendees are thinking about the questions in advance and sending in information. But when you get to the meeting, it makes for a better decision-making process. One of the most powerful uh, interventions that I learned about when I was a graduate student many, many years ago uh, from a, an organization development consultant uh, master, a guy named Harry Levinson, who you may or may not have read. He, uh, at this workshop, basically spent the hour with you know the 10 of us who are in this workshop just going around the table and asking each person what they wanted to get out of the session and that that became the entire session well which you know i've never forgotten that because and i use that idea uh that that design principle often to uh you know have everyone speak basically about whatever it is that you are there to be doing together uh, and simply doing that, you know, just having everyone speak and then, you know, reinforcing what people say um, by simply, you know, expressing gratitude or perhaps inquiring further, it, it never fails to elucidate, uh, you know, the, the issue and to bring, you know, everyone's perspective in. Everyone learns from that and people feel included yeah, by yeah. dint of the fact that everyone is bringing something different. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I, I will admit that I sat in many meetings where I didn't speak. Me too. Yeah, I probably all have, right? And that first time that you talk in a meeting, it's like you really got to find your voice, right? Like if you've been sitting there for 20 minutes and you haven't spoken, and now you want to raise a point, you're like, I wanted to say this thing. Yeah. It just becomes more difficult the longer you don't speak to take that leap and put yourself out there to share. Yeah, the risk feels greater. Yeah. People are sometimes surprised to learn that I, in college, never spoke in class. Why did you never speak? Well, I mean, they're surprised because I talk all the time now and people can't sh shut me up, as you have probably discovered in this conversation already. Um, I was afraid because I wasn't sure of myself. I wasn't sure of my ideas. I, I, I was afraid to be uh, made, you know, a fool of in my own mind or that I would say something embarrassing or that my questions would be just like, huh, how come you don't know that? Uh, I, I was afraid. Yeah. I was afraid. I was afraid of how people might judge me. But did you ever have a faculty member who did a good job of encouraging you to contribute and speak? 
in my very last semester. <laughs> um, and then I did other things before I got around to graduate school and, and encountered a number of people who who really brought out what I what I was you know what was on the inside. Uh, and in fact, I'll just say this parenthetically: I just a few days ago reached out to a, a someone who did that for me. Literally 40 years ago, I hadn't spoken to him since. He was a, a professor. Um, in a small master's program that I attended for a bit, just to thank him for what he did in doing just that, because it really changed how I thought about myself. And he, of course, he wasn't the only one. There were many people who helped me in that way. And that's something that we haven't talked about yet, Stephanie. And what, what did you find about the value that people uh, gain from having others who uh, help them to develop that confidence? Yeah, I think it's exactly what you're saying. Like that professor gave you voice. And I think that's what leaders can do for their team is helping people not feel, you know, in some cases invisible, like no one sees them or um, having people feel like insular, like kind of isolated by just ensuring that they're brought in uh, both socially. So you're not kind of like left out, um, but also their intellectual contribution is brought out and valued so, because at the end of the day, isn't that what we want? Like all of us want to contribute and create a more positive workplace or a world. Um, and we want to see how, like, we need support to see how that, how we're able to do that when we go to work. So this idea of, of amplifying the voices of the unheard is front and center in the national conversation right now. Yeah. Um, in the wake of, you know, what you can variously here spoken of as, you know, the great reckoning or awakening, uh, a new consciousness that seems to be emerging in our, in our society about racial injustice and the history of, uh, of racial injustice in our society and what we can, what we can do about it. So what, what, are, what does Inclusify say to this moment? Uh, what are you finding as you're, you know, continuing to speak about this work now in early July 2020, that is especially relevant. What do you want to make sure our listeners hear? Okay, I'll, I'll have two different, very separate points. One is a little play off what you said of amplifying voices. And that's something that's in the book. Um, the term amplification was used by the women in the Obama White House. And they, during meetings again, made sure they had little micro affirmations when other women spoke. And I think there's that is one thing we can all do. You don't have to be the leader to do that, but giving attention and reinforcing voices that maybe aren't the majority and saying, and if someone steals your idea, um, attributing it back to the person who initially said the idea. So I think that's that, a nice point that Richard made that Stephanie made earlier. Yes. <laughs> that's the, is that, that, is that the kind of thing you're talking about? That is because you know, I've had that experience. And if you say like, I actually said that earlier then everyone thinks you're like a jerk, right? Cause, because you're grabbing attention for yourself. Yes. So, so you, you need your posse, you need your, you need your, 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 your compadre. So we're going to help you by identifying that for you. Yes. And those, that's an amplification circle. You can create these and it's not just women or people of color. I think um, a lot of allies or men have asked me, how can I be an ally? It's like, here's one way is make sure that everyone is contributing in meetings and that you're supporting the contributions of people who might not be heard. 
and telling Richard that he stole his idea from Stephanie. I always frame it positively and say- Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you see, this is my problem. Go Richard, ahead. That might be a white knight thing. Um, Richard, that is a great idea. And I know Stephanie said that earlier. And so the fact that both of you had the same idea makes me think it's something we should really explore further. So Richard stopped stealing Stephanie's ideas, okay? I think hopefully he does, but he, he probably doesn't even know that he's doing it, right? <laughs> he, he probably thinks he had this great inspiration, but that's like kind of small, right? That's something yeah. we can do on a daily basis and making people feel seen and heard. Yeah, the big one, and probably the thing, what I would want to focus on today is you gotta set goals. Like that's what the optimist chapters are all about. It's like, we're not going to successfully change anything if we're just adding more employee resource groups. I love employee resource groups, great. If we're adding unconscious bias training, I love unconscious bias training. I do this all the time. It's not going to change numbers. It's not going to change. Why not? Um, well, because good intentions do not always turn into um, good behaviors. And we don't know what we're doing. It's unconscious, right? And we're terrible at adjusting when, like for, if we have biases, right? We're like, really, it's really hard for us to see the bias and then fix it. So I say, instead, start with like, do an audit, look at who you have in your organization at the top middle, like consider the vertical, where are people distributed? And then consider maybe um, some kind of benchmark for where you'd wanna be. What do aspirational companies have? Or what do you see how you could change? So set a goal, like we're gonna have 30% more people of color in leadership roles by 2025. This is a common goal organizations have. Well, how is that different, though, than what you were saying earlier about companies are good at diversity, but not at inclusion? So that's the first, that is only the first step. Is okay. I think when it comes to um, the Black Lives Matter movement, or maybe this moment, I think the conversation is really centered around diversity. It's the underrepresentation of Black voices in America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that requires the diversity initiatives. The second half of that is when you get people into your organization, because you've successfully done this through recruitment and hiring and promotion, you need to be working on the culture and creating an environment where those individuals with different perspectives feel like they're going to thrive and they see the path forward for themselves. And that's inclusifying. It's creating a place where people see that their different perspective is valued. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're going to pick up on this in the last part of our show, but let me just remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. So glad you're with us today. I'm speaking with Dr. Stephanie Johnson, who's the author of the important new book, very practical, uh, evidence-based, and so timely. It's called Inclusify, The Power of Uniqueness and Belonging to Build Innovative Teams, what else can we be doing now to break through uh, the biases that, that keep us from becoming the fair and just society that we want to become? I think, you know, educating ourselves, um, committing to that, I think is important. People of color are kind of tired of, you know, talk, giving advice and being the ones who have to educate others all the time on things they should change. So. We can be educating ourselves, you know, read books, watch podcasts, um, 
take online courses. There's so much information. Yes, there and is. Doing that first step, I think, is super helpful. And then I'm going to go back to something concrete. Let me just say before you continue on that that we are uh, have always had you know this theme as a part of our show now in our seventh year, uh, but listeners you can look forward especially over the next couple of months to hearing more on this theme from uh, especially from women and, and people of color. But uh, back back to our our live programming. <laughs> Thanks for that moment of uh, advertising. Please continue, Stephanie. Um, and then I guess I would say start trying to demonstrate some empathy. So have conversations with people who are different from you. Mm -hmm. Ask questions, go in with like an open mind. So you're not just talking about your own story or arguing the facts, like you're trying to understand. And if you go in with that perspective, I think you can really start to expand your view. Do a little homework first, have some empathy. Can you, can you give a, a more concrete example of what that kind of conversation would look like uh, from the perspective of, well, uh, you know, senior white male uh, executive speaking to uh, a, a mid-level uh, woman of color, uh, want, you know, who's sincerely interested in wanting to grow, uh, become more uh, not just conscious, but also active in promoting um, an, an inclusive and diverse workplace, what kinds of things should he be not only thinking, but saying? Yeah, so I think it's super appropriate and important for leaders right now to be asking their black employees how they're doing, you know, like recognizing the fact that this is a very difficult time to be black in America. And by not bringing it up, I mean, I, I'm sure it's awkward to bring up, like, I know it feels awkward, but if you're not bringing it up, then you're not giving a voice to people who might experience some healing from the fact that they're able to talk about it. So bringing it up? Bringing it up. Say, you know, obviously, um, this, is, this is an issue in our company. This is an issue in society. I would like to hear how you are doing. I want to hear how your experience has been in our organization. Um, and letting them share and being open to it, not like defensive. That's something that many people are not trained in doing and are even, you know, unconsciously going to, going to miss the mark. I know. So I created a deck of cards <laughs> that are, you can buy it on my website. You can download it. And it has, it's, I call it a game. I used to do it a lot with executive teams or corporate boards to facilitate conversation because of the awkwardness. People don't always, they're just not willing yeah. to. So the game gives you the forum to start asking those questions. And it's like mm. the game asks the questions. And then there's a lot of DNI facilitators out there, coaches. Especially the inclusion facilitators, yes. Yeah, who can help, um, I think, in this way of starting those conversations um, and maybe giving a little training. Because you like, you're right, we don't get trained in this. And you don't want to create a, uh, a further imposition because, you know, one response is, I don't want to have to explain things to you, you know, the, the, the person of color might say. I simply want greater opportunity and more economic opportunity, you know, to, so that we can close the wealth gap, close the wage gap, so that we can make things fair and, and repair, you know, past injuries uh, by creating a, a truly fair uh, economic system, which 
is not. So um, how, how then to approach that sensibility of, like, of, of being inhibited about engaging in you know, inquiry when that's just creating another burden uh, for the person who's just really looking for more uh, opportunity to advance and contribute. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I started with, you know, educate yourself first, do a little pre-work. But for those who don't want to engage in that step, um, the, I think one of the big take-homes of Inclusify is we need more sponsorship for women and women of color and people of color where there are senior leaders who are, often this happens informally, but who are asking the question, where do you want to go in your career with, within this organization or elsewhere? And then really mapping out, like, what are the experiences that you need? How can I facilitate those um, opportunities for you? And then being the advocate when you're in meetings. And sometimes it's just like you need to raise the name. Like, I think of, I'll, I'll go back to myself, but there's a lot of, and maybe this is true for you too. There's a lot of times where, like say if you end up on an editorial board or something like that, do we put the best people on journal editorial boards? No, it's like someone, your advisor or someone says, oh, we should put Stephanie. So it's, that's sponsorship. It's like someone who's advocating for you. And we tend to advocate for people who are similar to us or, you know, we were connected to them before. And so that just starts to create greater divides because, over time, like that just builds and builds. So changing the system. So we, you can do as a company a formal sponsorship program, or if you're just an individual, sponsor someone, go start having these conversations. Stephanie, we are out of time, unfortunately. Uh, I just have one, one uh, very quick question for you. And that is, uh, what's, what's the most important idea that you want listeners to take away from uh, Inclusify and all the work behind it? Yeah, I think it's the uniqueness and belonging. Just telling everyone they can belong. Um, it doesn't work. That doesn't create inclusion if they can't belong as their true selves. If you have to change everything you are in order to belong, that's not inclusion. Mm. And, and as you think about uh, you know, 10 years from now, what's, what's the world going to look like uh, if, if you were um, able to shape it? In a sense. Um, yeah, I think it would be more equitable. Um, it would have more, the numbers represented in our population would be represented on our corporate boards and executive teams and throughout the rest of the organization. Well, with Inclusify, this wonderful new book, you are helping to advance the cause and I am grateful to you and I, I, I know our listeners are, are as well. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How can listeners learn more about your book and your important work? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have a website, inclusifybook.com or drstephjohnson.com. And there's a quiz. Uh, if you want to know if you're a culture crusader or white knight, you can go to inclusifier.com and it'll you answer a few questions, it'll give you some feedback um, about maybe where your tendencies might lie and behaviors that you can start exhibiting today to pivot and become a little more inclusifier. Which is what we need more of in our world today. Stephanie, again, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, and thank you all for listening, uh, for 
being with us on the show. Don't forget to tune in next week at 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a question about something you heard on the show, you can email me. I'm friedmanatwharton.upenn.edu or our station is businessradio at SiriusXM.com, which you can follow at SXM Business or me at Stu Friedman. You can also go to totalleadership.org to find free versions of this of this show and lots of other stuff, free resources, videos, books, book chapters, rather, articles and other stuff and learn how, uh, how total leadership might be able to help you and your organization to create a greater sense of harmony and, and better performance in all the different parts of your life. Thanks to all who made this show work, Patty and Dion. Tune in next time to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.